Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious day. We give you praise for your grace and mercy. We thank you for waking us and starting us on our way. We thank you for another opportunity, the Lord, to come before the throne of grace, to obtain grace and mercy to help us in our times of need. We thank you, Lord, for all the goodness and the mercy, all that you are doing in us and through us. We praise you. We worship you. We ask that you would bless our listening audience. We ask that you would bless us individually and collectively. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of our need. Thank you, Lord, for touching and healing our bodies, blessing our families. Thank you for keeping us safe and watching over us. We ask your blessings upon our study today as we focus upon you, Lord, and your word that you might teach us according to your scriptures that we may hear and obey and receive the blessings that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, beloved, are there any questions before we begin? Um, no, no. I'm just ready to dive in and just keep it moving, you know. Amen. Learn all that. <laughs> yes, well, we do have a question that came in from one of our listening audience uh, persons out there and our listening audience. And uh, they had a question. This is from Brother Oliver. And his question is this morning, what's the difference between believing God and believing in God? What's the difference between believing God and believing in God? So I think that's a good question. And I'm quite sure that there are many others out in the listening audience that would like to know the answer to this particular question. I like to phrase this question in this way, what's the difference between belief in God and faith in God? What's the difference between belief in God and faith in God? I like to answer that question according to the scriptures. First of all, I like to use an analogy that's familiar with most of us who've ever flown on an airplane. And most of us know that airplanes, when they take off, people from all around the world fasten their seatbelts and let a complete stranger, the pilot, take them upwards of 32,000 feet in the air. They also know, and we know, that the, the vast majority of those who fly on an airplane, they survive. With their feet eventually coming back on the ground, they survive the airplane. Is this how we define belief? Many people believe that Jesus Christ really exists, that he is a historical figure. Many people believe that there once was a Jesus that walked the earth and really exist. Many people believe he is who he claimed to be, God himself, the Savior of the world. But that's not what the Bible teaches concerning biblical faith. That kind of belief is what I would call mental assent. That's head intellectual knowledge 
the acceptance of some facts. The Bible says that demons and devils, they also believe and they tremble. But we know that demons and devils, even though they believe in the existence of God, they do not have saving faith, or what we would call the God kind of faith. When the Bible talks about biblical faith, it talks about going beyond the mental acceptance of facts. Biblical faith is like actually buying a ticket, boarding an airplane, and fastening your seatbelt, and trusting the pilot to take you up and back, and then down again. Biblical faith is trust. Putting our eternal destiny in the hands of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who claim and is the Savior of the world. In the book of St. John, chapter 5, verse 24, the scripture says in the words of Jesus, Truly, truly, I say unto you, that he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life, one who believes in this way is trusting the Lord Jesus with his eternal destiny. More than 60 times in the New Testament, it tells us of eternal life. Eternal life is basically trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So the real question is, do you simply accept the facts as true, or are you trusting Christ with your eternal destiny? So let's look at the words faith and belief. They are very similar in the scriptures. According to Nelson's Bible Dictionary, he defines faith as a belief or a confidence, an attitude toward God involving commitment to God's will or committing your life to the will of God. The Nelson Bible Dictionary also tells us that belief is placing one's trust in God's truth. A person who believes is one who takes God at his word and trusts him for salvation. As I look at the word faith and belief, it is as a train on a track. There are two sides to a track. They both are needed for the train to safely make it to its destination. Faith and belief are not something that you can see. It's like electricity. If you stick your finger in an electric outlet, you may not see the electricity, but you know it is there. Faith and belief are two sides of the same coin. There are at least four different Greek words for faith, and the one most commonly used is the Greek word pesitio, which simply means persuasion. The root word of this Greek word, which also means to convince. The Bible teaches us that the word belief in the Greek 
means confidence or trust. In essence, the words are one and the same. People may have faith or they may have belief. Either they are simply convinced by the facts or they are not. So we all have faith in some form or another. Either we are convinced of the facts of life or the facts of our background or we convince with the facts of our education or even the facts about how we know about God. Based upon the facts, we exercise our faith or our belief as we go throughout life. I often like to say that faith is chicken gravy without seeing the chicken bones. According to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain what we do not see. This is the difference between believing in God and having faith in God. Are there any questions concerning this particular topic? So, no, I think it's good. So, do we? <laughs> I don't know. So the question is, are we operating in biblical faith or are we operating in mental assent? With mental assent, I know we're a little bit off the subject, but do we, are we to trust, trust and believe in the CDC? <laughs> well, they give us a lot of facts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, see, they I, give us a lot of facts. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by, I guess, the facts. facts <laughs> so, yeah. so we have to choose to believe them based upon their credibility. And that's why we can believe God, and that's why we can believe the Bible, because both are credible. The fact, the without fact error. That, Go yeah, ahead, Dorothy. Yeah. So I was saying that the faith... Um, Believe, believing in God's word, those are the facts. And well, um, well, we we like to say the truth the because truth. facts can always right. change. Right, they're but relative, but right. truth always remains the same. Right, God's word remains the same, and based on God's word, which is the truth, which is we truth, can trust. We can trust in God alone and His word. Right, mm. right. And, and that's also based on all of what we've seen um, God done. Seen and heard. In his word, but in our lives. In our and, lives, our experiences. Right, right. And um, that's where we know we can trust for a future, for God to take us through whatever. Amen. Whatever the so, future brings, we know from past experience. Mm -hmm. with God and faith in God, that right. no matter what the uncertainty of the future brings, we are mm -hmm. confident right. that we will overcome and succeed. 
Right. Because God said so. He said it. I believe it. That settles it for us. And it's impossible for God to lie. Right. So, so based on that alone, we, we know that once we pray for whatever it is, we know and believe and believe that we can pray the prayer of thanksgiving, knowing that we can always expect a miracle, rely miracle, on. and rely on God to bring it to bring it forth, and um, according to His word and His will. We, we know we don't even have to see it because we know deep down because of who God is. He'll work That's it out. Right. And we right. don't have to go back and forth with the same petition or the same prayer request. Right. Once you're out there, just hold on. Right. No matter how, how rocky things get, that's where yeah. the trust comes in. Yeah. So the Bible says, and this is the confidence. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. That we have in God. That if we asked anything according to his will. We know that he heareth us, and we know that we have the petitions of the things that we desire of him. That's right. over in First John chapter 5. We have the confidence, the boldness, when we are praying and believing according to God's word, that mm -hmm. it's impossible for God to lie. That whatever mm -hmm. we ask him according to his word and his will, we know he hears us, and he gives us the answer according mm -hmm. to his word and will. And that's our belief, our confidence, our trust is in Almighty God. And, and we also have to know that, you know, things will not happen, may not happen right away, but it's to come. And um, yes, it will come in God's timetable. Right, right. I was going to say God doesn't operate in the time well, our time. on our time. That's but, right. He, that's right. God's, God lives outside of time. He's eternal. Right. right. So our timetable might be right now, God. Change it right now. Move it right now. But God says, slow down. Be yeah. still and know that I'm God. I'm in control. I don't right. work according to man's timetable. Right. Amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Got it. We got it. We got it. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people are operating in mental ascent, intellectual, head knowledge, mm. but not heart faith. Ooh. See, real, genuine, biblical faith is the faith of the heart, believing yeah. with the heart, not no, with the perfect. head, not with the brain, not with the mind, not with the intellect, not with mm -hmm. mental assent. Right. And so we have to differentiate between the two and operate mm -hmm. in biblical faith if we want to get results to our prayers. Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay. Amen. So that was a good question. What's the difference between belief in God and faith in God? Because mm -hmm. there are a lot of people out there that believe God exists, but there's no salvation. There's no change in their life. <laughs> there's no answer to prayer. They just believe like the devils believe. Ooh. Well, um, we've been talking about the evidences of salvation, and we've covered five of them in our previous lessons. And I just, to bring us up to speed cover those five very quickly without comment, and we'll move on to evidence number six. Evidence number five is that you will trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Number two, you will have a growing hatred towards sin, a growing hatred 
towards sin. Number three, a true believer will seek to be obedient to God's word. A true believer, number four, will have a greater sense of sinfulness and a deep need of Jesus Christ in their life. And number five, a true believer confesses and turns from their sin and grows in repentance as he or she walks with the Lord. Okay, so we want to look at fruit number or number six, evidence number six. There are many people today who claim to be Christians but exhibit nothing but bad fruit in their lives. They act and they talk like the world. Their lifestyle does not align with scripture. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They have no victory over sin. They practice filthy habits. Those are strong evidences that they are either baby Christians, which Paul calls carnal in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, or they are not Christians at all. So we're not talking about sinless perfection here because no Christian can claim to be perfect, even though we are striving for perfection and we can live lives of excellence, but none of us are perfect until we receive our glorified bodies when Jesus comes back for the church, which we call the rapture or the catching up. So we're talking about here, we're talking about spiritual fruit. And Jesus teaches us as believers that all of us should be fruit inspectors. I guess an analogy or a metaphor of that would be going to the fruit market or the market. And before we buy a watermelon or a piece of fruit or vegetable, we would inspect it to make sure that it's a good piece of fruit or vegetable. Well, the Bible teaches us that we have to do that and should do that regarding others who claim to be Christians in the body of Christ and particularly those who are in leadership. So the Bible talks about when we're looking for spiritual fruit, we're looking for the entirety of one's person's walk of faith, not just an individual situation where they might have come short or fallen somewhere, but we're looking at the complete entirety of a person's walk of faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're looking and seeing whether they are producing good or bad fruit in their lives. A true believer will produce good spiritual fruit through the power of the Holy Spirit and will grow spiritually and mature in Christ. There will be growth in the life of a true believer who obeys and practices and feeds on the Word of God. He or she will see spiritual fruit in their lives, spiritual growth. He or she will see that. 
if they are really obeying the word, practicing what they hear, and feeding on the word of God, they will grow spiritually. Any questions about spiritual fruit and bearing spiritual fruit? Alrighty, let's look at some scriptures now. St. John chapter 15, verse 16. These are the words of Jesus. I have chose and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit and that that fruit will last or remain, according to St. John chapter 15, verse 16. St. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus said, and you will know them by their fruits. Not by their gifts, not by their singing, not by their preaching, not by them dancing around the church, but you will know whether or not a person is a true believer by their fruit. So the Bible teaches us that Christ alone provides the grace and the provision of the needs in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit in the Word to produce godly fruit in us. So the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it lists the nine fruit, singular, the nine fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Galatians, and it says, the first fruit is love. God is love. God's nature and character and essence is who he is. He is love. So love is not just an action word. It's also a noun. God is love. And then it talks of the other eight fruit. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, humility, temperance, self-control. These are the nine fruit of the Spirit. The more we allow the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives, the more evident spiritual fruit will be produced and grow in our lives. Good fruit germinates, in other words, it begins to come into existence and development and will grow. It germinates just like we would put a seed in good ground and water it and cultivate it. The seed under the earth will begin to germinate and begin to come into existence of growing and sprouting forth with the shoot and eventually the plant. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live beyond our natural capacity. Our spiritual fruit develops in us and makes it possible for us to live the Christian life. Christ desires that all in each of his disciples continue to obey his word so that their lives would be full of joy. So the product of obedience is joy. People are looking for joy. They're looking for happiness. 
and it comes as a byproduct of obeying God's word. Jesus talks in um, St. John chapter 15, he talks about abiding in the vine. And continuously abiding in Christ, who is the vine, that simply means obeying, communing, depending upon Christ, remaining, dwelling, will result in fruit in one's life. So we want to continuously abide and dwell in Christ, who is the true vine. We will bear fruit by allowing the Holy Spirit to help us to remain faithful in prayer and study of the scriptures and the service of the Lord. Any questions, beloved? Okay, I want to give you some scriptures to write down. I'm not going to turn to all these scriptures. But they are just a reference of what we're going to be speaking of at this particular time. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Matthew chapter 7, verse 18. And verse 19. And verse 20 and 20. 1 and 23. These are all taken from the book of Matthew chapter 7. So when the Bible refers to good fruit versus bad fruit, really what does that mean? What's the difference between good fruit and bad fruit and what does that mean? Well, according to the scriptures, fruit refers to the product of the teacher. The teacher may be a pastor in the church, he may be a prophet or a minister of the gospel, and the fruit refers to the product of that particular messenger, that teacher, whether his product is true or his product is false, or his message is true or his message is false. So what do you mean between a true message and a false message when it comes to the preachers of the gospel, regardless of what their title is? Well, first of all, the gospel is not politics. The gospel is not philosophy. The gospel is not secular humanism. We hear of all these things coming from the pulpit. The gospel is not the philosophy of man. It is not the psychology of man. None of that is the gospel. Politics, none of that is the gospel. Social events. And so a lot of these particular subjects are coming out of pulpits. And teachers are teaching this. But that's not the gospel. That doesn't produce good, good fruit. There may be good teachings. But it is not the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 6, is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So all of those topics are good, but they don't lead and produce salvation. It is only the engrafted word of God 
the infallible word of God, the incorruptible word of God, the truth, and his name is Jesus, and his word is one that produces good fruit in the life of a person. Any questions? Hmm. It, it's, um, it's not a question, it's just a statement that sometimes you do hear them preaching um, about, you know, politics and they tie it in to, to they reference scripture. Now, I can't. They use it as an example. Yeah. Uh, you know, the secular world. And well, they, they might start off with the message turn your Bible to such and such passage and read mm -hmm. one scripture and then close the book, the Bible, right. and go yeah. off and start preaching about other subjects and mm -hmm. other topics or whatever. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. So if you look but at the body, go ahead. Are they, are they trying to relate it to the passage that they Sometimes. 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 Yeah. Really weird. Yeah. You know, and that can be appropriate at times if it ties in. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about fruit, we're talking about the product of what the teacher teaches. Right. And the product is the fruit. And we can also call the fruit the student of the teacher. In other words, when the student hears the teacher teach, what is the lasting effect in that student's life. Do they become godly or do they live ungodly lives? Right, it's based on how they, I would think, uh, apply what they learn, what they're hearing. It, exactly. Mm -hmm. So when the Bible talks about trees, Jesus often uses the analogy or the metaphor of a tree. He was talking about people. And so when Jesus says, a tree produces good or bad fruit. What Jesus is talking about, a person's life. The output is the fruit of the person's life, what it yields after a season. So all of us produce some kind of fruit in our lives, over the season of our lives, whether that fruit is good or whether that fruit is bad. For example, the fruit is what we yield out of our lives. It's the product of our lives and who we become. Whether we have a good life, that's a good outcome, or a bad outcome, a bad life. So when we talk about the good word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is He, God and His Holy Spirit, who produces good fruit in the life of one who hears the word and obeys the word. And James, he talks about being a hearer of the word and a doer of the word and not just a hearer. For us to hear the word and not to obey the word, James says, we become deceived. Whoa. But if we hear the word and we obey the word, then we receive the blessings and the benefits of being obedient to God's word and we bear good fruit. And what is that good fruit in our lives? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, self-control, and the list goes on. Any questions? Mm -hmm. 
Isaiah 55 verse 10 says in the Old Testament, referring to God's word, Isaiah said that God's word will not return unto him empty or void. It will always accomplish God's desire. It will always succeed in whatever matter in which God sends it. So when God's word goes out and it falls upon good ground, a good heart, good ground, that seed, that word, that incorruptible seed being deposited in that heart, that good ground of that person, will produce good fruit. Any questions? So when the Bible talks about bad fruit, bad fruit is the absence of godliness in the life of, of a person. Bad fruit is the absence of godliness in the life of a person. That simply means that there is no change, no development, no evidence of continual love and devotion to Christ and his word, no desire for the sincere milk or pure sincere milk of the word. There's no growth, no desire in respect to salvation, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. So a person may experience a season of excitement and enthusiasm when they hear the word, and they'll come out of the church and say, my, didn't the pastor preach? Boy, didn't that, I don't know what he preached, but he sure did preach. And they might be excited for a while, or they might be enthusiastic for a while, but no growth, no change in their life. Wow, that's so true. So we just don't want to hear teachings and attend services or Bible studies and have no spiritual growth, no fruit. What's the sense in going? I mean, sure, it's nice to sit up in there, but if the message is not going to change our lives and cause us to become better people and become more like Christ, then the question is, why are we going if there's no results and no outcome? Are well, you saying that you should feel and see and some kind of growth spiritually and mentally as, as you go on through life, I guess. Yes. So that, I'm just simply saying, anyone who, who sits under any kind of teacher over a period of time, over a season of time, they should be able to evaluate themselves, their personal lives, to see if there's any change spiritually, if there's any spiritual growth. Right. If there are any, is there any improvement in their lives? Right. Because if that teacher, whoever he or she is, is teaching the truth of God's word, it's always going to transform us and change us to become more like Christ, to become better people. So if you see a group of folks, whether they're in a church or in a home or a Bible study, 
and they're having Bible studies and they're having prayer meetings and they're having church and they come out and they still talk the same way as the world. They still do the things of the world. They still think the way of the world. They still live like worldly people. Then you have to ask yourself the question, what's going on there? Yeah, there, there should be some form or some uh, accomplishment. Positive change. Right. For the better. Mm -hmm. If the word is being preached. Right. And taught. And its entirety and simplicity. If the word is being taught. In a practical way that people can understand it. Mm -hmm. And apply it. That word with the Holy Spirit should bring change in a person's life. And I have seen that over the years in my ministry. I've seen people come in one way and go out totally different. And I don't take the credit for that because whatever you preach is what you get. If you preach God's word, the truth, you're going to get results. But if you're preaching something else, you're going to get that. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And most of us are a product of what we hear and what we're being taught. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. So we're on to number seven, finally. <laughs> are you ready for, for number seven evidence? Yeah. All righty. This is another good one. Number seven, godly discipline. That's number seven. God disciplines his children like a loving father would. God disciplines his children like a loving father would. Okay, we want to unpack this. And um, I want to give you some scriptures in case I don't get a chance to cover them all. But I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible teaches us that we as sheep are often prone to go astray. We as sheep all of us are sheep, <laughs> no matter what our titles are. And we know that sheep are often prone to go astray. And so that's what Jesus calls his children, his disciples. They are sheep who need a shepherd. And one thing about a sheep, I was just thinking about that this morning, that out of all the animals in God's creation... The sheep seems to be, from what I can see, the only animal that have no defense mechanisms. They mm. don't have any sharp teeth. They don't have any sharp claws. They don't have a mean bite. Uh, they don't have horns. <laughs> they don't have speed like an antelope that can run mm -hmm. for protection. A sheep is defenseless. Mm. and cannot survive without a shepherd. Mm. That's and that's true. what God and Christ Jesus and the Bible 
refers to believers, Christians, as sheep. So sheep are often prone to go astray. They're hard-headed, they're stubborn. <laughs> These are the characteristics of a sheep. There's a wonderful book I've read many, many years ago, um, had a copy of it. It's called The 23rd Psalm. I forgot who the author of it is, but you can Google it. And it talks about the characteristics and the disposition of sheep relative to human beings and how they are so closely related. So, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible talks about the chastisement of the Lord. And before I begin to read the scripture, I just want to indicate and say for the record that when talk about the chastisement of the Lord, uh, we're not talking about like God is whooping me or um, uh, the, the God put this sickness on me to teach me a lesson. Listen, God has no sickness, no disease to give any of his children and no godly parent would ever put a sickness and a disease on their child whom they love to teach them a lesson. So God doesn't need sickness and disease and death and all of that to teach us a lesson. If that occurs in the life of the believer, he or she cannot blame God for putting that on them. They have to look at Satan, who comes to steal, kill, or to destroy, or they have to look at their own lives and ask themselves, did I put myself in this position? Did I give place to the devil? Did I yield to the flesh? Did I yield to temptation? Did I disobey God? The person needs to ask themselves the question, did I bring this on myself? Or is this an attack of Satan? Or why did God allow this? But to blame God for our sicknesses and our problems and our troubles is basically making God out of some kind of a Terrible person. Yeah. Yeah. So God would never use those kind of means on his children. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you, beloved? Yes, it does. All righty. So when we talk about God the Father, we're talking about a loving Heavenly Father, our spiritual Father in heaven, who loves us. But he does discipline us. And when we study the Bible and we read the Bible, we understand that the discipline of the Word and the discipline of the Lord is the same. God uses His Word to correct us, to train us, to discipline us. And we see that when Paul is talking about preaching the Gospel. He says, preach the Word, be instant in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, Rebuke with all long suffering. So when the word of God comes to us, it can come to us as a strong rebuke when we are doing something that we should not be doing. What do you mean? That means if there's something in your life or my life and we're at a church service and the preacher gets up, he or she may say something that may directly address that area in our life. And it may come as a strong rebuke for us to listen to it, take heed and obey, and stop doing whatever we're doing. 
But if we choose not to do that, and we choose to be disobedient to that rebuke, and be stubborn and stick-nut and rebellious, and we persist in that, then we have opened the door to the devil. And we have just put ourselves in a bad situation because God is not going to honor that, whatever that, that we're doing. That's offensive to him. So we have to take responsibility. So when we talk about the chastisement of the Lord in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, we see that the purpose, the purpose of God's chastisement in our lives and all of God's children receive chastisement because if we don't, the Bible says that we would be bastards, illegitimate children, and not children of God. So anyone who says, well, you know, God never, he never chastises me. Well, I would ask them, well, are you really a child of God? Because according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, the Bible says you are a bastard or an illegitimate child if God doesn't discipline you. And he's doing that to protect you, right? Is that <laughs> Well, that is a benefit of protection. Yes, yes that's a benefit, Ron. So, you know, a lot of this we can learn from our own experiences of raising our children. We had to speak the word to them, words of correction, warn them to protect them. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to keep them from having a good time. Mm -hmm. Yes, we want them to enjoy life, but there's certain things that they need to stay away from and certain things they need to do to stay protective, to stay healthy. So the Bible teaches us benefit number one. Benefit number one, that we may become partakers of God's holiness. That's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. Paul says that we are profited, that we might be partakers of his holiness. That's the benefit of chastisement from the Lord. Number two, that it might yield a peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised or trained thereby. So these are the two benefits of the chastisement of the Lord. So if God disciplines us, if he corrects us, it is a part of our training and our spiritual growth and development. And we become more holy, we become holy. We become righteous more righteous when god exercises godly discipline or chastisement in our lives any questions no. all righty let's look at some more scriptures uh, now, we often hear people talk about backsliding, Christians backsliding, and um, that term, backsliding, is an Old Testament term. We find that in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 7. And uh, the Bible refers to Israel as a backsliding heifer, <clears throat> or someone that regresses or goes back 
away from God instead of moving toward God and walking with God. They make a decision, no longer do I want to walk with God and be obedient, but I want to do just the opposite. And the Bible refers to that as backsliding. But in the New Testament, uh, I've never seen the word backsliding referred to Christians in the New Testament. Uh, we've seen some other terms in the New Testament that applies uh, to believers. We see in Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, uh, speaking of the church at Ephesus, where the beloved John the Apostle is speaking to them uh, by the Spirit of God, and he says, you have left or abandoned your first love. We see that in the New Testament that they had abandoned Christ Jesus, their first love, and they were in love with other things that were in their lives. Uh, we see um, the Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 16, that a just man falls seven times and he rises again. Uh, so we see in the New Testament that Christians can fall away, uh, Christians can defect the faith, uh, Christians can become hardened, uh, they can become callous in their heart. Uh, Christians can become, through disobedience, they can become dull of hearing. Um, and um, they can continue in that state for a period of time or season. But believe me, if they are truly God's children, they will not be able to stay like that in that condition. Any questions? No. Um. I, I guess based on whatever experiences that, you know, come upon them, um, I'm sure it wouldn't, it's not a good thing. Not a good thing. So, therefore, um, that would cause one to want to go back <laughs> to walking with God. Yeah, we don't, we definitely don't want to go back. And um, a, a scripture came to mind, I believe it's over in First Peter, if you would uh, take... Notice with me over in First Peter. I'll give you the chapter and the verse in just a moment. Over in First Peter. Amen. Let's see here. All right. Alrighty, First Peter, uh, chapter four. Alrighty, in verse um, verse seventeen. <clears throat> verse seventeen. Um, would one of you read that for me, please? For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Mm, so what do you think that means, Brother Ron? <laughs> There'll be some kind of discipline. Yeah, some kind well, of discipline there, huh? Yeah. How about you, Sister Dorothy? What do you think about that scripture? He's going to deal with his people uh, first who follow him 
and um, he'll de deal with us accordingly. And for those who don't obey the gospel, um, it, it'll be a harsher dealing with. He'll, he'll deal with them differently, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. You're very good. So yeah, that yeah. just simply means that God is going to judge his own people. We're going mm -hmm. to be judged according to our works, mm -hmm. according to our deeds. There is a judgment day coming in the imminent future. One of the righteous judgment and one of the unrighteous. The, 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 the righteous judgment, we call that the, the, the beam of seat. And the righteous and the uh, judgment for the unrighteous, we call that uh, the white throne judgment. We see that over in Revelations chapters 20 and 21 uh, but when we talk throne. about what was that Ron go ahead white throne judgment you white said? throne judgment yes the oh. white throne judgment that's mm -hmm. the judgment for sinners at the last day judgment day the final mm -hmm. day of judgment final day of reckoning for unbelievers so there's two judgments, one for the righteous and one for the unrighteous in the last days. All right? So we're back in we're back in Peter, we're still in Peter, 2 Peter, and I'm looking question. now at 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 20. And this is what happens to someone who wanders away from the truth. In verse 20 it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So the woman that was taking an adultery, Jesus said to her, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So that means that we don't want to get entangled again. Don't go back to your old ways. We don't want to go back to the old ways. Right. Paul says, stand fast in the liberty work wherewith Christ has made you free and be not again entangled in the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5.1 Here Peter is saying that the latter end will be worse than the beginning condition. <clears throat> and Jesus said when the unclean spirit goes out of a person he roameth through dry places looking for an opportunity to come back to the person or the house that they resided in. And he goes and gets seven other demons that's more stronger than him and comes into that person. And now the latter end is worse than the beginning. Mm -hmm. So that's why backsliding for a Christian is a no-no. Mm. Because a lot of times what they were as a sinner, once they become a saint, and then they choose to go back in the world, they're like worse than what they were before. 
And uh, Peter talks about this in verse 21, if you would follow me, in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments, that's God's word, delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, a dog is returned mm -hmm. to his own vomit, Oh, again, and the sow, the sow, which is the pig, that was washed to her own wallowing in the mire or the mud. Yeah. So you can clean a pig up, bring him off the farm, bring him in your house, <laughs> put a ribbon around his neck, but the moment he gets out of that house and sees some mud, he's going for the mud. Because that's <laughs> the nature of a pig. Yeah. You can't make a pig out of a dog or a cat. A pig is a pig, and a dog is a dog. That's their nature. That's who they are. Any questions? Okay, we're, we're winding up. All righty, so James chapter 5, James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, talks about a believer wandering from the truth. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Another scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, speaks of a believer overtaken in a fault or a transgression will be need of restoration or to be restored back into proper relationship with God and his church. However, God will not allow a Christian to live in a continual lifestyle of sin. If that person is a Christian, God will lovingly discipline him with his word by strong rebukes. According to 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 4 verse 2, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. Strong rebukes and warnings with the hopes of bringing that person back into proper fellowship. If this doesn't work, God may allow him or her to suffer the consequences of their own actions or sins to bring them to repentance. Mm -hmm. And we see that over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where there was a man who was living a sinful lifestyle and suffered the consequences of his actions without being willing to repent. So God may allow that believer to suffer the consequences of his own sin or action or experience un unfavorable circumstances to bring them to repentance. If God allows a professing believer who has backslidden or wandered away from the truth to remain that way, then that is a strong evidence that that person is not a child of God, that they've never been born again, truly born again, that that person was just a poser who stopped posing. And we see that over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Amen. So whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son and every daughter 
whom he receiveth. Any questions about the chastening or the chastisement of the Lord? So if, if, well, if you're on your deathbed and you're, you're a sinner where you committed a, a, a real bad crime and you never became born again and whatever, the preacher comes in and gives you the, the last words and asks, you know, do you believe or you're a believer? And they say, yeah, yeah. What happens then? I mean, is that, do they all of a sudden become converted? At that point, I would I would think that the person would say to the preacher, "But you know, I've sinned." In mm. what? Oh, they would acknowledge they would acknowledge your sin, admit it. Right. Yeah, that I'm a sinner. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's important, Dorothy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's important. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and uh, make, so, go ahead. I'm listening. Now and then, ask the preacher, "What can I do?" Um, is it too late? He may even say, is it too late? And, and it's never too late when you come before God. Um, you acknowledge the sin and ask for forgiveness. That's what God wants us to do, even on our deathbed. Yeah, but, but Ron said, so how do we know if that person will become saved? That's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. Oh, after not all his life, yeah. I guess. Because yeah. they, might, they might die the next minute, so they're mm -hmm. not living long enough for us to see the fruit of their right. lives. Mm -hmm. So how do we really know if they made it into heaven or not? Right. But See? I would say, you know, um, at that point, yes, he didn't practice and he know he should have. But um, then I would say it's up to him and God. If he comes then and acknowledges, yeah, there's, there's other things that he's going to have to deal with when the rapture comes or judgment day comes for him. White throne judgment. But um, <laughs> then I would say, you know what? At that point, that's it's, it's between him and God at that point. It's between him and God. You know, many times over um, my 40 some years of ministry, um, I've been called, you know, into the death room to give the last will and wishes and testimony and opportunity for people to come to Christ. Family will call me and say, look, my dad, my uncle, my father, whoever, my mother is on their deathbed. Could you please go visit them before they die? They're not a Christian. Mm. And I would walk right. in the room and I would mm. present the word to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mm -hmm. truth. Whosoever, you know, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe and if you, you know, believe in God, I, I would quote the scriptures to them concerning salvation, and some would respond, mm -hmm. and some would admit, yes, I am a sinner, and mm -hmm. I will pray with that individual. And I've seen people who were chief sinners who'd Ooh. done some of the most egregious sins and practices over the years mm -hmm. on their deathbed, sincerely Ooh. repent of their sins on their deathbed Ooh. and mean it from their heart. Ooh, and okay. become born again that instant right. and become a new creature mm -hmm. and mm. die and enter into heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, nobody knows what's in a person's heart. That's right. between them and God. That's why I said that, yeah. See? But our responsibility is to tell the truth, mm -hmm. preach the truth, quote mm -hmm. the scriptures, and give them an opportunity to say yes. Mm -hmm. to Jesus Christ or to reject him. That's our mm -hmm. only job. Mm 
is to present the gospel to them. And once we do that, God and his Holy Spirit takes over. Right. And that, does that the was, convicting and does the changing and does right. the saving. Go ahead. Because I was even, that, that always came to my mind as, you know, then what happens? But because I know who God is, and, you know, all you have to do is confess. Even look at the, the thief that was hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And, you know, um, mm, good example. remember me, you know, I mean, he went through that. So um, once you confess and you do it from the heart, I truly believe that God will accept you, you know, but it's between them and God, between that person and God, even on, on the deathbed. And God says in his word, God says he desires none. He wants everyone to be saved and come to the repentance and the knowledge of Jesus. God the Father doesn't want any soul to be lost. He doesn't want any to perish. But he wants all men and women to come to eternal life and be saved. That's God's will. That's why Jesus came to save sinners and we were all past sinners but because of his grace and mercy and his love as long as the breath is in a person's body and they're in their right mind there's always hope even on their deathbed it's, it's not too late so that's why we can't say well who's going to make it to heaven and who's not going to make it to heaven no no that's not for us to do because only God knows those who really believe from their heart and are really sincere and really have faith, believing faith from the heart. Only God knows what's in a person's heart. We look at the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. He looks at the heart. So that's why we don't judge one another because we're not God. We don't know what's in a person's heart. But I have seen people come to Christ on their deathbed. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. And these are men and women that hardly ever went to church and never went to church. Mm. But they make a decision to believe and receive by faith the gospel message and be saved. Amen. Well, mm. beloved, uh, we've come to the end of our study today. I've certainly enjoyed our fellowship. And with the listening audience and the questions that um, were given, um, I think eventually uh, we'll have on the screen uh, where people can um, send me an email and uh, send me more questions. So be looking for that in the future. And uh, are there any questions before we close our study today? Um, is there something that maybe we can take from the lesson as an application to apply to our lives? Maybe one or two things that kind of really stuck out to you or resonated with you uh, that you would like to share, Ron and Dorothy, with our listening audience? Um, yeah. uh, wait, um, Just be a, you know, we want to try to be spiritual fruit inspector. Amen. Yeah. Be a good fruit inspector. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Individually produce good fruit, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's our goal. That's our goal. And we can't produce it, but the Holy Spirit, working with the Word in our lives, mm-hmm. when we hear and obey, right. will produce good fruit, mm-hmm. good outcomes. Yes, good fruit in our lives. That's right. Love, joy, peace, yeah. long-suffering, patient, gentleness, self-control. All mm-hmm. of these wonderful nine fruit of the mm-hmm. Spirit that we find in Galatians 5.22. We want our lives to become productive and fruitful to the glory of God and the benefit of others. Mm-hmm. Amen. So when people come into our lives and they taste us, as the Bible said, taste and see that the Lord is good. There are people who are tasting our lives through our interaction with them. And when they leave, do they have a bitter taste in their mouth because of us? Or bitter feelings? Or do they say, well, wow, my heart burned because I was with a godly person. I was with a good person. I'm better for it. Because of the good fruit in our lives. Amen. All righty, beloved. So we're going to close in prayer. And uh, Dorothy, would you uh, lead us to the throne of grace and close us in prayer? Okay. Father God, we thank you for this very moment of life, Lord. Thanks for waking us up to another day and allow us to study your word, Lord. We thank George, Brother George, for, you know, leading us in the study, Lord, and for all that we've learned today, Lord. We will apply it to our lives daily so that we will be able to produce the fruit that is expected of us, Lord, because, Lord, um, without you in our lives, we're nothing, Lord, but because of you, we can continue to trust in your word, Lord, knowing that you're carrying us through whatever trials that we're going through, Lord, and you will keep us in perfect peace, Father God. So, Thank you for the God of our lives and for your love towards us and for all that you provide, Lord. We truly thank you. Lord, um, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, Lord, who died on the cross for our sins. And just to know that, Lord, after this life, we will be with you in eternity, Lord. And we look forward, Lord, to spending that glorious time with you. And Lord, just thank you for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that prayer. May the grace of God be with us all until we meet again. And as we often say, go with God and he'll go with you. God bless you.